The Gemara Rosh Hashanah asks the question, Rosh Hashanah like a halal, that on Rosh Hashanah there is no halal. And the Gemara's question is that by all rights there should be. Halal belongs on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as it belongs on any other Yom Tov. And the Gemara's question is why isn't there halal? Why don't we sing Shira v'tishbachos to Hashem on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? The Gemara tells us, Amar Abirbao, this very question, the Malachi Asharis said to Akadosh Baruch Hu, they said, "Ribon Shalolam, Nema in Yisrael Omrim Shir Lofanecha Baruch Hashanah Yom Kippurim." The Malachi Asharis, when observing the Klai Yisrael, had that tema. They watched the day, they saw the structure of the Tefillah, and they said to Hashem, "There's something absent. There's something missing. Halal should be a part of the day." To which the Gemara tells us, Amalehem, Hashem said back to them, Is it possible that the king will sit on the throne of justice? And the books of life, the books of death are open in front of him. And the Klayasral will sing. It's inappropriate to sing. It's not with the theme of the day. And this is the Gemara. What I'd like to address this evening is the fact that the Gemara had a question. The Malachi Ashuras echoed that question, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu had an answer. And the question is, what was the Gemara's question? Why did they feel that it's so appropriate, so proper, that halal should be part of the day, that in fact there's an absence, there's a lack? And once we understand what the Malachim's question was, then the question is, what was Hashem's answer? So let's begin with the position of the Kasha, the Havminim, the Malachim. And I believe if we focus on what I call the issues of the day, if we focus on the gravity, the issues, the many, many things that are dealt with on this day, I think we get an impression that's vastly different than we normally think about. The reality is, on the day of Rosh Hashanah, the future of mankind, the fu- future of humanity, and every issue that befalls them is decided, weighed, and measured. Beautiful. I want to go. I want to go over there. Where is it? Comes it or? Huh? Oh, I came to the wrong picture. The reality is, on Rosh Hashanah, all of the issues of the future year, which country goes to wars, which countries suffer through famine, which new technologies will be brought to the market, which cures will be brought for which diseases. If you want to understand the issues that are decided on Rosh Hashanah, all you have to do is focus on one point. The headlines of the New York Times are written on Rosh Hashanah. But it doesn't mean the headlines of that particular day. The headlines of every single day of the coming year, and it's not just the headlines, it's the details behind the headlines, it's the op-ed page, and it's every article between the covers. In 2005, the New York Times bragged about having 350 full-time reporters. They had 16 news bureaus just in New York, 11 national, and 15 international. And the reason is because there's a lot of stuff going on on the planet. A copy of the New York Times contains almost 2 million words. Because amongst the 6.5 billion occupants of this planet, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of issues, a lot of big deal things. And if you begin to focus on the fact that every one of those issues is weighed, measured, and decided upon, it gives you a different perspective of the day. 
And if you step back and think about HaKadosh Baruch and you think about our Creator sitting there as the Master, mapping out the chessboard, putting this pawn into this place, this pawn into that place, mapping out the entire future of the world, the cosmos, you get a very, very heady sort of sense of the gravity, the stupendous, the awesomeness of the day. I'd like to focus you on one interesting observation that we say in in Asanatokev. That which sort of defines what the day is, the Bali Musa make a diak, and they say, On Rosh Hashanah it's written, and on Yom Kippur it's signed, how many will pass and how many will be born? Listen to the diuk that they make. First Hashem sits and measures on the global perspective. How many human beings will be brought into this world this year? How many will pass? How many people are to die? Once there's the big deal issues decided, once the global issues are decided, the numbers are racked up, then then it's who's going to fill in the slots. If it's 2.5 million people are going to pass, is it this person, is this person, that person is going to fill in the slot? Then then that person in their particular judgment from the global all the way down to the minutia, it's a Mishnah and Rosh Hashanah, every single human being is judged alone. Beskira Acha, simultaneously, but Hashem focuses on each individual separately, weighing their past, their future, who they are, where they're coming from, where they're going to, and decides the fate of that human being. Now typically, it's very difficult for us to really be margish HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence. We try to daven, we try to understand Hashem's presence, but it's very, very difficult. It's hard to imagine that I'm literally speaking to my Creator right here. Rosh Hashanah is a vastly different sort of day. The Mishabura claims that the reason why we change the Nusuch from Akel HaKadosh to Amel HaKadosh is for a phenomenal reason. You see, we refer to Hashem as Hashem manifests Himself. During the course of the year, Hashem manifests Himself as Akel, the God, the Creator, Maintainer, and Orchestrator of all the physicality, but almost in a distance. Granted, Hashem is involved intricately in every single action, but it's hard for us to feel it. During a Sarah Shemei from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, Hashem is much more present. You could feel Hashem's presence. Hence, the Mishaburah says, when we change to a Melech HaKadosh, it's because Sha'afsev Yimei Din, these are the days of Din. Sha'akadosh Baruch Hu Yoshev Edan Kololam, Hashem sits and judges the world. Umare Malchuso, Hashem demonstrates and shows His sovereignty. Shehu Bakom HaShalom, meaning you could feel it, you can sense it, you can understand that Hashem is the Shofet Mishpat. During the rest of the year, it's quite difficult. From Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, it's much more palpable. You could feel it, you could understand. Not just that Hashem is present, but that Hashem is the King, and that Hashem judges all of humanity. The Pelayoetz gives him a moshel. He says, imagine that your, your eyes are closed, and someone brings a candle. Now, you don't see the flame, but you're aware of its light. So too, he says, during Rosh Hashanah, during a Sarah you could feel Hashem's presence literally right there, much more so than the rest of the year. We Jews have an interesting relationship with our Creator. And we are, on the one hand, avodim, or servants, but we're also banim, we're children, and more than anything, we are fans of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem is our God. 
During the course of the year, it's very difficult because we're so well, a tremendous amount of bizonos, whether it be the state of Israel, the state of Jews in general, but there's a tremendous bizon that goes on in the world at large. During these days, we can sense the malchus and the sovereignty of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We can sense Hashem's presence. We can sense the fact that Hashem determines every single human being's destiny. And there should be a sense within our hearts of, wow, this is an awesome day. Stupendous. Hashem sits there and judges humanity and decides the fate of everyone. And a Jew should be filled with a sense of awe, a sense of wonderment and a tremendous sense of joy. Because on this day, my King, my Creator is demonstrating to the world, showing to everyone that He is the Melech. And by all rights, a Jew should be filled with a tremendous sense of simcha, joy, happiness. And I believe that's exactly what the Malachi Ashar has <coughs> said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's something missing from the day. If a Jew understands what happens during this day, if a Jew relates to Hashem as present and accounted for, there should be an overwhelming sense of simcha. He should want to sing shira. Halal should be a part of the tefillah. And that was the Gemara's question. I believe the Gemara's question was very on target because what it was asking was, that's a definition of the Jew's emotion. A Jew by all right should feel a tremendous simcha, a desire to say halal. It should be part of the nusrach tefillah. Why is it lacking? And interestingly enough, Hashem answers. Hashem answers that Melech Yoshev Din, the king is sitting on the throne of judgment. Sifri Chaim, Sifri Moves, Pesuchim, the books of life, the books of death are open. Is it possible to sing? Meaning you are correct. A Jew should walk into Shul on Rosh Hashanah and feel a tremendous joy knowing that my king is running the world. There's a sense of balance, a sense of harmony. There's a sense of pride. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is showing the world His sovereignty. But that sense of joy has to be tempered with a certain reality. All of humanity is being judged, but I too am a human. And that tempers my joy. Because the reality is my fate, the fate of my family, the fate of my community is up on the docks. It's an open question. And granted, there should be a sense of joy because I look at the global picture and I understand that Hashem rules the world, but my fate is also included in that issue and therefore there's a temperament that's included. There's a sense of awe, there's a sense of fear, and therefore both hergeshim are correct. A Jew should walk into shul on Rosh Hashanah with a tremendous sense of joy tempered with a sense of awe. I've heard of Dama Kronglas say said in his name that on Yom Kippur if it weren't for the Amos Haddin he would be dancing a Rikud he'd be in the aisles dancing a jig because there's such a sense of joy but again has to be tempered so I believe that's what the Gemara is telling us that both positions really are correct by all rights we should walk into Shul with a tremendous simcha and that is appropriate I guess we should say halal the reason we don't is because that has to be somewhat held back because of the Amos Adin, because of the fear, the reality that my future is on the docks, is open for question, and we don't know what the response is going to be. And with that as a backdrop, I'd like to introduce a rather obvious question. We are all Maminim B'nai Maminim, and we all understand this 100%, and we all understand as well the power of Tila. 
from the Rishonim way back to the Nevi'im, every single generation stresses the power of Tefillah. The fact that the Baruch Hu sits there waiting for our dominating. The fact that many times Hashem will hold back things waiting for us just to request. So here's the question. If I understand that Hashem runs the world, if I understand that Hashem judges humanity and I too am a human, and if I understand that my fate is right there on the dot, and I also understand the power of tefillah, I understand that Hashem waits for my davening, and that my tefillah may change things, wouldn't you imagine that every Jew would walk into shul davening with such powerful, passionate prayer, heartfelt entreats, Hashem, please help me, help me. You'd imagine that every Jew would walk into shul from early morning till they literally close the door with tears running down his face. There are so many issues that I need help with. So many things that in my coming year I really need siyata rishmaya with. You'd imagine that would be in shul davening the most remarkable tefillah imaginable. Baruch Hashem, tefillah on Rosh Hashanah, Sarah Shemichuvah Yom Kippur is different than the rest of the year. But I don't think that's quite the description of heartfelt entreats all day long, tears running down our cheeks, at least not for many people. And the question is, why not? If I get it, if I understand that Hashem runs the world, and I understand the power of tefillah, how is it possible that I don't sit there begging, imploring, beseeching Hashem, please help? And that's the question that I'd like to address. And I'd like to share with you that I believe that there are two reasons why it's difficult for us to dominate. And the first reason is because we live in a generation that is unique. Never in the course of history has there been such opulence, such wealth, such availability as we currently enjoy. Never, never in the course of humanity has the average person had such luxuries, such freedoms as we have today. And the reality is that we don't lack we don't lack, and if you don't lack, it's very difficult to turn to your Creator and say, Hashem, I need, because all of my needs are met. I have a friend of mine whose father was a Rav in New York in the 1930s, and he told his son that he doesn't remember a single Rosh Chodesh benching that went by that the women from the other side of Mechitza weren't crying. Every time they got to the part in Rosh Chodesh benching about Parnassah, the women on the other side of Mechitza would break down audibly crying tears running down their cheeks. Why? Because this was right after the Depression and people literally didn't have, there was no food to eat. And, and no food doesn't mean like, oh ma, meatloaf again. No food meant bare cupboards. <clears throat> no food meant you were kicked out of your apartment, your belongings were put on the sidewalk and there was no one who would bail you out. When you really, really need, it's very easy to turn to Hashem and say, Hashem, I can't do it. Hashem, I depend on you, I rely on you. And that is a very powerful dominant. That is a very powerful tefillah. Baruch Hashem, in our generation, we don't lack. We're not lacking anything. And even what we describe as not really making it is considered luxuries of luxuries compared to previous generations. <coughs> Shlomo Zaman Albach was once in Eretz Yisrael. There were bombs going off left, right, and center. And he's sitting learning. And some of his Talmudim asked him, how could the Roshiva learn with such equanimity, such calm, when everything's going on? And he turned to him and said, I grew up in the 1920s in Yerushalayim. I don't remember once going to bed not being hungry. When you go to bed every night hungry, you have a different perspective on life. When you've suffered, 
life is different. My friends, I don't know a single human being my age or younger who ever went to bed hungry. It's not part of our reality. We have such wealth, such opulence, and it's a tremendous bracha, but that bracha comes with a cost. It's difficult for us to stand in front of Hashem and say, Hashem, I need, I lack, I need you to provide. And this is an issue that I think requires addressing. And I believe that there's a strategy that's very, very useful for addressing this point exactly. And that strategy is something that the Granat taught. A Balabas once approached the Granat, Rav Tali Trop, pre-World War II Europe, Rosh Shiva. <clears throat> he walked over to the Granat and said, Rosh Shiva, how could I say those words in Slichas? In Slichas we say the words, Kedolim, Mokharashim, Dafaknu, Dalasecha, Hashem, we bang on your door as poor men. How could I say those words? I'm rich. I'm a wealthy industrialist. I have 500 men in my employ. How could I lie? How could I say to Hashem, I'm poor when I'm very, very wealthy? And the Granat said to this person as follows, you're making one mistake. You're assuming that because last Rosh Hashanah you got a Gzar Din, that you're going to keep your wealth, and you assume that you're going to have the same decree this year. But if you understood that that question is being tried right now, if you understood that that question, whether you're going to keep your wealth this year or not, is an open question, you would understand that you are literally a doll, you are literally poor, because there are no guarantees. You see, just because last year you got a psak, you got a decree of keeping your wealth, doesn't guarantee that that is going to be the same decree this year. And if you understood that that is a question, and that question has to be weighed measured and decided, you don't understand that you're literally a dal varash, you're a poor, impoverished man standing in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you would understand that those words are accurate. And my friends, I believe the Granat is teaching us to Yisod, a tremendous foundation. And that foundation is there are no guarantees. And no guarantees means across the gamut of the human condition. And that means health, well-being, success, life and death, Parnassah, go across the gamut of everything that you're going to experience in the coming year, everything you experienced in the past year, and no one understands there are no guarantees. If you're not quite sure about this, study the current state of the economy. About two months ago, you could have bought Citibank for a dollar a share. You could have bought Citibank for a dollar a share, and I'm not sure it would have been a wise investment, because the U.S. banking system the U.S. banking system was on the verge of bankruptcy. The banks can't go bankrupt. That's businesses could go bankrupt. People can go bankrupt. The U.S. banking system, financial institutions, can't just fold up and stop being. I mean, Lehman Brothers is not going under. GM is not going under. It just can't happen. Not in the real world. But it happened. And when you study this thing called life, you quickly see that many unexpected events happen. And there are many, many things that befall the human. If you're not quite sure that I'm right about this, do a little survey. Go to Sloan Kettering. Do a little interview as you walk in there and you say, ma'am, six months ago did you plan on being here? Sir, was this part of your autobiography? Was this part of the, the plan of your life? You'll find that every person who got sick never planned it, but people get sick. Smart people, dumb people, tall people, short people get sick, not because they so chose, but because that's what befalls them. 
I hope you understand very clearly that every one of these questions, our well-being, our future, our being weighed, decided, and measured, I think it fills you with a certain sense of the issues of the day. By the way, a little Musser exercise. Open that part of the paper that most people don't even know exists called the obituary section. I guess they have them online also. I haven't checked, but uh, check the New York Times online. I'm sure it's in there. And look around at the different faces that you'll see there. You'll find some interesting things. You'll find more older people than young, but you'll find an interesting phenomenon. You'll find older people and younger people, successful people, not so successful people, <coughs> fat people, skinny people, people are healthy, people are not so healthy. In fact, what you'll find is across the gamut of the human condition, there are people there. And in fact, the only common denominator that you'll find in the entire obituary section is the fact that these people there were once alive and are no longer alive. That's the only tzad hashavah. And once you then take the next very, very difficult step, all of those people were once alive and are no longer alive, and I too am a people made of the same flesh and blood, heart beating, lungs breathing. Aha. Uh-huh. You begin to recognize that I am a mortal. And if you think about this long and hard, you may even come to the very clear understanding that one day, hopefully a long, long time from now, but one day I will be no longer. But more than anything, that question, Gufa, is open. And that question is being decided on Rosh Hashanah, sealed on Yom Kippur, whether I will exist this year or I will not, whether my life stops on February 1st, March 30th, or whenever. That's being decided. And if you understand that, I think it brings you to a very different perspective because as the Granat says, there are no guarantees. I spoke to a man who told me he was married for 16 years. 16 years and he never even understood what the issues of Shalom Bayes were about. He never had such a problem. He didn't even, never dealt with it. Six months after that, he was divorced. What happened? He lost his job. He changed, she changed, and before you know it, the end of a family. Think about it. How many of us are so powerfully worked out that our life situation are guaranteed? Don't worry about me. It's all taken care of. I can handle myself. And my parents, God's fine, nothing. Nobody, my sister, my brother, everybody that I deal with a solid state, nothing can change them. My life is guaranteed. If you think that way, I believe you're living in a state of delusion. Because the reality is that many, many things happen, and previous performance is no guarantee of future results, and that's what the Granada is telling us, that every single issue of our life is opened up, every single issue is being weighed, decided, my health, well-being, that of my family, that of my community, everything that I'm going to go through in this coming year is up there on the dock being decided upon, and there are no guarantees. And I think if we think about that, we recognize that when I stand in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's as a very needy person. I stand in front of Hashem and say, Hashem, I cannot control my destiny. Whether I exist or not is not in my capacity. I could put my head on the pillow and say, I will myself to exist tomorrow morning. I will myself to wake up. But I can't do that. Hashem, I depend on you. I rely on you. I can't control the economy. One little worldwide depression and we're all in big trouble. When you get that, when you understand that, you then relate to Hashem in a very different way. And you relate to Hashem as a dal, as a rash, 
more than anything as a dependent. I am a creation dependent upon my creator. And I dare say you daven in a very, very different manner. So if we wanted to define the first problem in davening Rosh Hashanah, the first problem is that it's difficult because we feel that we're not lacking, we don't need, and the Granat helps us understand that the reality is we're very needy, and we're very, very dependent on Hashem. But I believe there's a second reason why it's difficult to daven on Rosh Hashanah. And that second reason is because the din that we go through on Rosh Hashanah is different than any judgment that any human being ever goes through. I'll explain what I mean. During any judgment, there's a time of fact-finding, time of deliberation, and the verdict is read. Fact-finding means you gather together the witnesses, the events. Deliberation is when the judge or the jury sits and weighs the evidence. Then the verdict is read and everyone knows the outcome. I made it a point, I hate to to quote ancient history, but I made it a point to be in front of a television when O.J. Simpson was on trial, specifically when they read the verdict. Now you have to understand something. He's on trial for murdering his wife. I believe any sane person knew that he was guilty. He had his dream team led by Alan Dershowitz, the greatest defense team gathered maybe in the 20th century. And the bottom line is he's sitting there gripping the table as a jury foreman gets up to read the verdict. Now understand what's going on here. His entire future is right now being read to him. Whether he spends the rest of his life as a caged animal or whether he goes free is to be read to him right now. He's white as a ghost, <coughs> gripping the table. The jury foreman <coughs> opens the verdict and reads the words, we find the defendant not guilty. Wow, the life that came into him, the joy. And <coughs> you could see the visible change in the man. That's din in this world. Fact-finding, deliberation, then the verdict is read, and everyone, the jury, the witnesses, the defendant, knows the verdict. Next Shabbos, Mitzvah we're going to go through a judgment. The judgment is comparable in terms of the fact-finding, comparable in terms of the deliberation, but there's a key distinction, and that is the verdict is not read out loud for us to hear. We don't know what the verdict is. We don't know if we're going to have a good, sweet new year or whatever. And if you understand that the verdict is read, but we don't hear it, what you understand is it's somewhat hard to feel it. You see, my future is being decided, but I don't know what the outcome is. And I'd like to share with you an interesting thought. If you dominate in a large enough shul, I almost guarantee there'll be many, many beautiful xeras that are decreed. A person who lost his job and the decree is issued, he'll be phenomenally successful. <clears throat> a couple that were having trouble conceiving for many years, Zardin this year, that to have a child, a man who couldn't find his shidduch for a long, long time, is to find his bashar this year. Many beautiful decrees. And I also guarantee that if you're dominating a large enough kila, there'll be many decrees that are not so sweet. Many decrees of people losing their panasa, and many decrees of people losing their health. And I dare say there will also be at least one or two exes. One or two people who are slated not to finish off that year. And if you look around in a shul, and you think about the fact that there are a couple of exes likely on somebody in this group's head, it fills you with a different sense of the day. I once heard told about the Stiefel Lagoon, this was in the 1980s. The Stiefel was one of the Gedoli Yisrael. He would sit in his small apartment, 
he was by at that stage of his life almost almost completely deaf. He would look down in the safer. People would come by and bring a petek, a small piece of paper with a request for a bracha, a shayla, whatever it may be. And he would read the petek and he would tell the person. The room was filled with people. Filled with people. The stipend was looking down and the person was by. He brings petek. Next person, a man walks in unnoticed by anybody else. The stipend looks up, points to him and immediately screams out, Russia! Russia, get out! Get out! Leave right now! The man who had walked in turned white, turned red. He didn't know what to say. He bolted out, turned out the door. A few hours later, somebody comes into the stipler and showed it to Rashiva. I just feel I must share with Rashiva the fact that that person that the stipler called a Russia isn't such a Russia. The man left the stipler's apartment, got into a car, that car got into a fatal car crash. Everyone else in the car was killed. That man alone was saved. He's not such a Russia. The stipler said, don't you understand? When he walked in the door, the Malach Mavis was over his shoulder. The only way I could save him was a Malba If you embarrass your friend in public as if you killed him, it was the only way I could save him. Once upon a time, there were Jews like the stipler who could see the Malach Mavis walk in with the man. But we don't operate on that level. After davening on Friday night, we shake hands, we say the words, Lashana Tova, Tikhasev, Tikhasev, Laaltel, Chaim Tovim. We have tremendous betachan, tremendous joy, and we should. We get dressed, we shave, that's Allah and Shulchan a little bit less than a normal yamtif, but we wear yamtif clothing because of Batuach, we trust in Hashem's mercy. But my friends, this is the point. We really don't know. We don't know the outcome. We don't know the verdict. Many good decrees, some that aren't. But I don't know the answer. And that's why it's so hard for us to relate to the din, because I don't hear the reading of the verdict. And the Kokhli Or, one of the great Bali Musa, gives an Eitsa. He says, if you want to daven on Rosh Hashanah, a real davening, you want to understand what's really going on and relate to your Creator, he gives one Eitsa. Because normally people come to Shul on Rosh Hashanah and they think about their coming year. Oh my goodness, a lot of things, a lot of decisions in my life. What am I going to go into? What field? Am I going into Shidduchim yet? Am I not? I have issues with my parents, my brothers, and my sisters. There's a lot of things that I need help with in this coming year. And oftentimes a person will think about all these things and make those requests to Hashem. Says the Kofi Or, I have one piece of advice. Don't go forward go backwards <clears throat> review your past year look back at all those strange events those coincidences that just happened and think about the fact that every one of them was decreed on the previous Rosh Hashanah that you were to meet this and this person and suddenly he says you should go here as opposed to here you end up in this year as opposed to that year <clears throat> you happen to trip and break your leg every one of those strange events that shaped who you are now was decreed on the previous Rosh Hashanah. And when you understand, when you look back on all those events, you map them out, and you understand that every one of them was decreed on the previous Rosh Hashanah, then it's very easy to stand there on this Rosh Hashanah and say to myself, oh my goodness, I get it. Every one of those issues was decided on the previous Rosh Hashanah. My entire future is now being decided, and you have a vastly different perspective. And I'd like to share with you an Eitzah. You have a few days left until Shabbos. Take an index card 
and on that index card, write down the various events that befell you during this year. And everyone has a story, and everyone has an amazing amount of things that just sort of happen. Write them down on an index card. And then take another index card. On that other index card, write down all the things that you need in this coming year. And again, each of us have many things that we need help with. Bring both of those cards into shul with you on Rosh Hashanah. First look at the card of the previous years and say to yourself, every one of these, this and this and this was decreed on the previous Rosh Hashanah, and then you'll fully be margish, you'll get it, you'll understand that every one of these issues that are now I'm dominating for are being weighed, decided, and determined on this Rosh Hashanah, and I guarantee your dominating is very, very different then. You see, my friends, we have a great problem. A great problem is we sleep through Rosh Hashanah dominating. We walk into shul, we're B'nai Torah, so we try to take it seriously, but about an hour or two into the dominating, it's like, I hope my mother makes hopes, I'm really getting hungry, you know, and it's a little strange. I have a muscle that I think defines a lot of times the way we approach dominating. I was a Rebbe, a high school Rebbe in Shiva in Rochester for many years. My parents lived in Kugan Hills, so we made the trip often back and forth from Rochester to Kugan Hills. One February day, we're leaving Kugan Hills, heading to Rochester. We left at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and we get onto 81 North. 81 North is a trucking highway. It's two lanes, almost no shoulder to the way. <coughs> it's dark, and we're somewhere along 81 North when it starts coming down. Sheets and sheets of snow. You couldn't see anything. Because there's no shoulder to the road, I couldn't exactly pull off. I tried to slow down a little bit. <coughs> As I'm slowing down, all of a sudden my car does one revolution, and it does a second revolution, and I see it coming. I see an 18-wheeler coming this way. The car is going that way, and there's nothing I can do. There's absolutely nothing I can do. I stop it. Somehow the truck passes. We end up on the embankment. And I looked over to my wife. She looked at me. And then I turned to the back seat. My three-year-old daughter was sound asleep in the car seat. We had just lived through maybe the most harrowing, frightening experience in our life. And she was sound asleep. And that's okay if you're a three-year-old. But I'm afraid many Jews go through Rosh Hashanah exactly that way. We live through the most frightening, harrowing experience of our existence. Our entire future being decided, weighed, measured. And people sit there and shul. I don't want to die. Oh my God, I only have to shachar. I think a huge part of the avoda is to wake up. To wake up to what's being decided. There are many, many things that are in my control via my tefillah. By turning to Hashem and saying the critical key word, help. Hashem, I can't do it. I didn't create myself. I didn't choose this generation. Hashem, please help me. And if you list out the things you need help with, and you mavakesh, you ask with tears in your eyes, those tefillahs are powerful and can likely change your destiny change your future, change your year, and it can make a very, very real difference. I think there's a tremendous lesson to learn from the Malachim's question. When we stand there in Rosh Hashanah and Shul, there should be a tremendous sense of joy in our hearts. Why? Because my king is proclaiming himself to be the Melech, and my king is sitting on the Kisei Din, and he's judging humanity. Every issue 
think of all the complex issues internationally, nationally, globally, all of the things that go on from tsunamis to earthquakes to market crashes to new technologies to diseases, everything that's going to come in the future year. Hashem sits there as a melech, dons, judges it, and decides it. And we can be margishit. It's a melech kodesh because Hashem shows malchuso. Hashem shows his sovereignty. I could feel it, and that should bring me a sense of joy. As Apelioids describes, like, even though my eyes are closed, I know there's light, I could feel Hashem's presence, and that brings me to a sense that I should, by all rights, sing Hallel. And that was the Malachim's question. We should sing Hallel, because that's the joy we should feel. But Akash Baruch Hu answers. And the answer is that it's true that you should feel that joy, but that joy has to be tempered with an Amos Adin, because the reality is that you are being judged. It's very beautiful to understand that the world is being judged, but you too are being judged, and it's inappropriate to sing, hence we don't say hallel, but both ergations should be there. And understanding that, I think, is a very important perspective to understand how we need to walk into shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I'd like to close with a story that I'm very fond of because it happened to a a friend of mine. <coughs> Chaim Chopper was learning in Kolo. He was living in Kew Gardens. Chavitz Chaim was in Forest Hills. <coughs> and Thursday night, his wife gets a call from her sister. You see, both couples had planned on being at Chaim's house. Chaim's wife gets a call from her sister that <coughs> her husband's tired, they don't want to come over, they decided not to come for Shabbos. Chaim's wife says, what do you mean not come for Shabbos? I cooked, I prepared, you can't not come. Do come, don't come, back and forth, forth, back. Finally, Chaim's wife says, listen, I cooked already anyway. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pack up all the stuff, and we'll all go to your house for Shabbos. That's the fact what they did. And both couples, instead of being by Chaim's house, both couples ended up being by his brother-in-law. Okay. Now, Chaim was a big masvid, and on Shabbos especially, he wouldn't normally read English books. He'd be learning any free time. He describes that when he got into his brother-in-law's apartment, on the cocktail table was a book, Who by Fire?, if you're familiar with the book, it's the story of a young woman living in Yerushalayim. She was in her apartment, and her apartment exploded into flames. She ran out into the hallway, and she was safe. And then she realized that her children were still in the apartment. She runs back and grabs one kid, runs back and grabs the second, grabs the third. She brought all of them to safety. But at the end of the story, she suffered burns on 85% of her body. Now, the book is a beautiful story of a woman's emunah harbitachan, but it's also a very, very frightening tale of what it means to be burnt alive. Chaim says he picked his book up and he was mesmerized. He read it cover to cover. He couldn't put it down. Shabbos afternoon, he walks into the yeshiva from Mincha. He gets to the yeshiva. And when he walks into the base manager, he describes that he walks in and everyone seems to be looking at him. My suit, my tie, what's the deal? Doesn't think that much about it. Damans. After Shmarnesha, he takes three steps back and looks up and notices again, all eyes are upon him. It's a deal. What's going on? After that, he walks over to one of his friends and says, What's your Why is everybody looking at me? His friend says, You didn't hear? No, hear what? Oh, sorry to be one to tell you this, but uh, last night your house burnt down. Well, what do you mean? Well, apparently at 2 a.m., the boiler exploded, and it was a three-family house, almost instantly into, fl instantly into flames. There was another family, Rahman was in there, was badly, badly hurt. 
and Bechayim, his wife, and his children were not there. But gentlemen, this is the punchline. The pivotal moment of his existence was not that Thursday night conversation, should we come to your house, your house, back and forth. And the pivotal future, the moment of his existence, was the creed on the previous Rosh Hashanah. But he was being showed something very, very clearly. You see, normally we don't know. I mean, he was given a message that there was a gzardin, there was a judgment, mi ba'esh, mi ba'mayim. It's not just who will live and who will die, but the exact method of death, and you were saved by from this. And he was, that book was there to let him know exactly what it was that he was saved from, and it was a powerful lesson that the gzardin, for whatever reason, he was saved from, he and his family, but it's a powerful understanding. And one of the bedrock basics of our entire immune system is the fact that Hashem runs the world, Hashem judges the world, and our very, very fate is determined on Rosh Hashanah. The problem is that we're not margish, we don't feel it. And one of the great secrets to being a fully functional Jew, an alive, mature Jew, is to wake up, to understand that we're very, very needy, that we have many, many things that we need. There are no chazakas. As the Granat said, there are no guarantees. You could think that you're wealthy, industrialist, but that question itself is being opened. You could think you're young, healthy. I'm like a bear. I've never been sick since I'm a six-year-old kid. I can't be sick. But that question is being weighed and decided. And the only way to really make it real is to review your past year, see all of those strange events, and then understand right on Rosh Hashanah, sealed on Yom Kippur, every one of those issues are weighed and decided. Merkadosh Baruch Hu grant us wisdom, understanding, ability to put into practice. If anyone has any questions, please feel free to come over. And one more point also, shmooz.com, and please take a brochure magnet. You can download the rest of the shmooz, in 196 of them. They're all free. Please avail yourself, or if you like this particular lecture, and it's on the CD. Thank you. Uh, actually, no, you're. Uh, you're not.